Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive. You sound good tonight. You sound good. There's more in you, but you sound good. Uh, Thank you for coming ready to sing uh, and to celebrate with us. I don't know if you're kind of ready for Christmas yet. As Amy said, we are actually still in Advent, and yet uh, Christmas, as usual, is upon us. Or whether, in fact, you feel this sense of weariness. I want to explore this weariness tonight and how it relates to the situation we're in. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about a man you may already think you know a thing or two about. His name is Nicholas of Myra. There he is. Not a photograph, in case you were wondering. Uh, He's also actually known confusingly as Nicholas of Bari. And the reason he has two names is because after he died, uh, uh, a group of sailors... Uh, he'd already gained some fame by this point, hence, hence the story. A group of sailors uh, broke in to Myra, which at that point was a part of the Islamic empire. And in order to safeguard his bones, they stole them from Myra, which is where he was buried. And they took them to Bari in Italy and buried them there. And they built a cathedral over them. You can still go and visit that if you'd like to. Now... You and I know this man not as uh, Nicholas of Bari or, in fact, as Nicholas of Myra. We know him as Saint Nicholas. Not a huge surprise. Uh, here is another picture of him, which may be a bit more familiar to you. There he is. That's, in, that's him in his weekend gear. Now, uh, there are two stories that are often told about Nicholas, uh, so I'm told, who was a historic figure, clearly, hence the bones. The first is that he was present at one of the earliest councils that the church had. And it was a particularly important moment in a place called Nicaea. And what the church needed to decide was whether or not Jesus was divine or whether he was only a human. Was he part of God eternally or was he created? Was he just a man? Now, to you and I, this might seem like an important but, you know, not relevant question. But for, for these people then and for us today, it's both important and relevant. Now, Nicholas came face to face at this moment with someone called Arius, who was the, the key proponent of the theory that Jesus was just a man. And he got so annoyed with Arius that he slapped him in his face. It's the kind of church leader I like. The second story is of Nicholas in a slightly more generous mode, a bit more of a generous tone. Now, what happened to Nicholas was that he was born to wealthy parents, but both of his parents died when he was still young. Now, while he was living in Myra, he was made the bishop, and he was wandering around town one night, and he overheard weeping in a house. And so he As he heard, he listened in, he stopped, he listened in a little bit more carefully. He could hear a man, a nobleman, crying. And the tears, the reason for the tears became apparent. This man was so poor, he could no longer feed his household. And he was being forced to sell the eldest of his three daughters into slavery. As soon as Nicholas heard this, he ran home. He filled a silk purse with gold and he threw it over the wall into the bedroom, it landed on the bed in front of the nobleman. And immediately heard rejoicing. The nobleman understood that with this money, he could use it as a dowry. And his eldest 
daughter could marry the woman that she loved and therefore not be taken into slavery. Now, curiously, as often happens in these stories, this happened on three occasions with each of the young daughters. But on the final occasion, the nobleman crept outside expecting something might be afoot. And he found Nicholas, and he knelt down at his feet and kissed his hands and his feet. This, of course, is where we get the idea of St. Nicholas as a generous giver of gifts. That's a nice story, and it's probably one I'd imagine that you and I wouldn't mind reliving, particularly in this moment, in a moment where we experience a cash crisis, if you like. We perhaps resonate a little bit, some of us more than others perhaps, with this nobleman, because we live in a weary world, do we not? And no, I'm not only referring to those of us who are weeping mourning after last night's debacle against the French football team, in case you were wondering. But can you connect with that feeling of what it must have been like to be that nobleman? Each of us has experienced that at some point in our lives, have we not? One of the key ways we might feel that today is that sense that we don't have enough resource to meet the needs of life as it hits us. Whether that be financial resource, whether that be emotional resource, mental resource, intellectual resource, we have that sense in life that what I have in me isn't quite enough. Just a bit more would be good. For some of us, that does manifest in terms of the cost of living crisis. But for others, we experience that in a host of different ways. And I would argue, and I don't have time to kind of bear this out uh, in detail, but I would argue that what we see in our culture today is not only a cost of living crisis, a crisis in our institutions, but it's fundamentally a crisis of the soul. Have you ever considered how much anger there is out there? see it all the time as you're walking down the street, just anger, anger in people's eyes, anger in, peop- in people's behaviours. Yesterday, let me give you an example. I'm an above average driver. I'm an average driver. Just got the nod from, from Amy. But yesterday I was driving to Birmingham taking our son to a, a party, which is a bit far for a kid's party, but there you go. And there I was, just pulling kind of into the correct lane, just on one of these filters, coming up to a roundabout, so traffic was slowing down. I was slowing down. There was ample room, honestly, folks. I wouldn't lie to you, we're in a church. But the chap behind me was going at what I estimated to be the speed of sound. And as I slowed down, he really didn't slow down for quite a while. And then he slammed on his brakes, beeped, gave me the lights, and there was a couple of other things he gave me. As he passed me on the roundabout, which he did, having wound down his window, he said a few choice words. I couldn't hear them all. Because I was praising Jesus at the top of my voice. I didn't say anything to him because I'm a holy man and also because my nine-year-old son was in the car with me. What has to happen in your life for you to respond in that way? The level of ambient anger, the level of ambient anxiety in our culture is extraordinary. Those of you who are on social media, you know this already. And I don't mean to make you feel worse, but the solutions, the typical solutions that we have in our hands are not fit for the purpose of meeting that need. 
Any of you who have been following the political cycle of late will know this. Perhaps you've become like me, fascinated by the spectacle that has become our politics. Now, politicians themselves seem to become weary. That's why they're taking holidays in the jungle. And coming back and packing in politics altogether. It's because they too recognise that the solutions that we typically have within politics won't deal with the fundamental problems we have. Well, leave aside politics. What about the myth of progress? What about technology and the advances we can make within technology? Well, I'm going to suggest that they don't meet the need either. While it is absolutely wonderful to be able to ask Alexa what the capital of Ghana is, or what size shoes Pinocchio might have had, or indeed where my Amazon parcels are and whether they're going to arrive before Christmas, it's not actually going to deal with the fundamental issues that the human condition contains. And nor will pleasure, which is our go-to as world-weary Westerners. Give me a bit more pleasure. Let me watch Netflix. I think there's a new thing out. Isn't that Meghan and Harry have got something to say? Going to show us their truth. Well, even pleasure grows dim eventually because we live with the law of diminishing returns. And what that means is that the more we rely on pleasure, the less each hit affects us, leads us into an addictive cycle in which we're binge-watching Netflix and goodness knows what else. Feeling weary? You probably weren't when you came in, but maybe you are now. The truth is we're still waiting for a technological advancement, a political vision, a success, or a piece of technology which can deal with the fundamental issues of the human heart. The problems of our selfishness. The rage, the anxiety, the fear and hatred of those who are different to us. The judgments that we carry. And though we would wish to, we just cannot shift. There is good news. I am here to tell you this evening that there is great news. That there is actually reason within all of this to rejoice. Because, as the angel said, do not be afraid. I bring you good news which will cause you great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, which means King. He is the Lord. You see, the world-weary story has an alternative, a competing vision for reality, which even tonight claims your attention. And this is a little bit of how this story goes in brief. There is an intelligence, a being God, who is the creator of all that is both seen and unseen. God makes a world. And as our first reading put it, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And because he was and is the creator of all things, he held and still holds the secret to how life should be lived. And this means two things. Firstly, it means that we live the most flourishing life when we live our life in connection to his design. To put it in a kind of 
Christmassy image. It's like receiving a piece of electrical equipment. Well, first thing you need to understand, and I know in the world there are two people, two types of people. There are people who throw away the instructions before they've opened up the box, and the people who fastidiously study them line by line. Well, I'm saying in connection with this image, you want to be the second kind of person. You want to be the kind of person who lives with reference to the Creator. God knows the rules. God knows the way. He has the vision for how life should be lived. But secondly, it means that he's the source of life. It's not just about rules, folks. This is a relational dynamic, that God is a relational being. This intelligence is not some kind of far-off being who can't be touched and experienced. This is a God who is close as breath. That's the kind of God that the Bible refers to. This is less about rules and it's far more about relationship. And this God has access to life because he is the source of life. And the Christian claim is that by plugging into that power source, back to the electrical equipment image, we can experience life as it was truly always intended. And we ache for it because deep down we all know, I think, that we were made for it. You see, from a Christian perspective, the idea that human life can work properly outside of a relationship to the Creator is a nonsense. And the result of such a way of life, if Christians are right, should be weariness and confusion. These are, I would argue, on display. But have you considered that it might be possible that the weariness that we experience both within and without is evidence of the fact that we're running after the wrong things. And this isn't actually bad news. This is good news and a reason for rejoicing. Because God, being God, will not abandon us to ourselves. He sees the weariness we face and, being God, is very suspicious of our attempts to solve the weariness in our own strength. And so he acts out of the superabundance of his love. Here's the bit many religious folks miss. God's impulse, God's design, God's intent is always birthed out of his love. That's not what he does. That's who he is. So let's put this to land in case you were wondering, in terms of the story we started with, the one about St. Nicholas, we, like the noblemen, sit in our very cold houses, wondering what we're going to do to get out of the situation we're in. Ruined, sold into slavery or on the edge of it because of the weight of the situation, because of the weariness in our world, because of our own failures, even to live up to our own values, let alone God's values. God overhears, like St. Nicholas, overhears our complaint, sees our true condition, and out of the abundance of his generosity, out of his own pocket, makes provision for us. He gives to those of us who have nothing what he and he alone possesses, eternal life. What God gives, crucially, is himself. That's why it matters that Nicholas defended the idea of Jesus being God eternally. 
Because the gold coin in the silk bag that God lobs over the wall into our front room is not only a gift from God, it is the gift of God. God gives himself to us. That is why it matters that Jesus is part of him. And that's why we read that though being in the form of God, God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He already had it. And in Jesus, God is generous. John 3.16, a great paraphrase would be, for God so loved the world that he was generous. And from this gift of Jesus, God's own self, given to you and I, this Christmas and every Christmas comes life. Not just quantity, but quality of life that is unsurpassable in any other story. Because no other story has God himself been given as the gift. This is not religion, friends. This is revolution. To put it in the words of Irenaeus, he became as we are so that we might become as he is. What we're being offered this Christmas is to become like God. And that is an offer too good to pass up, if you ask me. So what? What do we do with this news? Well, if you're part of the choir, either literally or figuratively, you're already a churchgoer, you're already kind of into this whole thing, and this is kind of ticking all the boxes. You're enjoying it. You've whispered, I'll be honest, you've whispered a couple of our men's maybe through the, the better points. You've sniggered at some of the jokes. Well, just give thanks tonight. Rejoice. Why do you, just in the songs after this, just sway your hips a little bit. Just try. Just move off that little imaginary circle on the floor. <laughs> give thanks. But what if you're not? What if you're not part of the choir? What if you're visiting this place? Well, I want to put it to you that you should seriously consider investigating the claims of Jesus Christ. What about take it seriously? You know, the best way to investigate the claims of Jesus is from within. Why don't you start living? Give, do this for one week. Set yourself the challenge to live as Jesus lived. To do the things that Jesus commands. And see from the inside whether it is not true that what he offers is better than anything else. I'd like to pray for us as we consider that.